City, City Limits. Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense we'll of community. This. 855 on the AM band if we can hear it Twelve through the seconds. noise and find it through the smog. City, City Limits. Good morning, good morning, Kevin. How's it going? Of course. Oh, it's going to be better now. My mic's on. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's going well, Corey. We've got these different mics today. We could get a different sound, I think, because of the building next door. We've had to have different sort of mics that stick around our necks, etc. Mm. Uh, we could all strangle here today. Mm. Um, I'm Kevin Healy. She's Corey Green. And um, this is City Limits. It's the third Wednesday of the month, Corey. That means housing. Today. Housing. Housing. And we did have an interview. Um, well, not teed up, which is the problem in some senses. But anyway. Um, there, there's been, we've mentioned in the last few weeks the fact that paramedics etc are being removed from community health centres by the health system and also there's been an ongoing dispute between the nurses and the Royal District Nursing Service mm-hmm. But uh, It's I'm, about money would you believe? Well that's right and yesterday we were teeing up um, to interview there and uh, talk about that dispute you've, you've done some research into it and what it's all about but they have. They might get someone back to us this morning, but they told us this morning they've actually got a staff meeting till ten thirty, and no one's available. So uh, we'll see. But if no, you don't get it this morning. We'll certainly do that in the next couple of weeks. But you, you look. Let's let's go, let's go there um, mm-hmm. on housing. By the way, we're going to be talking about in a couple of things. We will go back to that issue um, that we've talked about a few times about public housing being handed over to community and social housing, and we think it should stay in public hands. And there's quite a important meeting tomorrow night being held uh, which we'll talk about later but on that issue with a talk and a film and um, discussing the whole issue of trying to retain public housing in public hands but more so I would think getting more of it we don't need less of it we need more of it but anyway we'll get to that later but this dispute at the Royal District Nursing we will talk in more detail with someone who's involved with it but you've had a look what what's the basis of it well there's a um, new CEO he came in um uh, 2011, I believe. Um, he's greatly expanding the nursing service, um, but he's uh, firing a lot of people, including senior nurses with a lot of expertise. And then he's encouraging them to reapply for their jobs again. Um, he's also closing down a lot of centres and and um, just uh, smashing everything into four centres instead of, you know, 15 or so um, across Melbourne. And uh, Relying on technology to to make up for the um, to make the work more efficient, I guess, and to reduce the need for centres. I'd be really interested to know how um, technology is going on the ground. As an old person, you know that um, you know. I mean, they're talking about aged care here and uh, tele video conferencing, telehealth. It doesn't sound easy. It doesn't even sound like something I could do, let alone. You know, one of the golden oldies such as yourself. <laughs> Gee, thanks, Corey. <Gloria. laughs> I mean, you can't even do an email. I think, you know, the word... You can't Im- even use a mobile phone. The, the word impossible springs to my mind. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even go on the internet. I no, mean, no. you know, how's a, how's a man such as yourself supposed to teleconference? Let me think. 
uh, with great difficulty, I suggest. I go back to the word impossible, etc., mm. etc. Et yeah. So, but also there, I mean, apparently there have been cut back in terms of office space, etc. So, one mm. report I had was that they're forced to meet in places like McDonald's or whatever just to do their paperwork and to um, debrief with other workers, etc. So, you know, it's it's a it's a major cutback. And, and the union did tell me yesterday, and we tried to tee this up. I thought we had teed it up, but they've got a staff meeting we weren't aware of. Um, that um, that uh, it's been ongoing for some time. This industrial dispute. So I guess we'll have to see where it goes. Mm. But clearly, the all that leads to more and more pressure on public emergency, uh, public hospital emergency departments and uh, departments. So public health. And um, surely in the long term, any cost cutting in one area uh, in the long term is going to cost more when you putting people into into emergency wards in public hospital. Well, the thing about the RDNS, the Royal Put District... Put a cup of tea while we're talking, by the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. Is that it's a service where nurses drive around and visit people in their own home, and it's, you know, it's proven that people who live in their own home, who are patients, have much better outcomes than those who are in hospital. I mean, for one thing, they're not exposed to the diseases of all the other patients, and, you know, they're happier, healthier do things their own way. You know, it's just like it's a proven better way to do things rather mm. than have people in hospitals. So it doesn't seem like the sort of service you want to cut back, especially not with the um, ageing population. Something else you'd know about, Kevin? <laughs> Thank you, Corey. Um, you're making a point this morning, aren't you? <laughs> the, uh, certainly, yeah, I'm just the, worried uh, about how your knees are going to be met. <laughs> Well, they're going very ordinary. They were peddling the old bike here this morning. <laughs> um, the, uh, in fact, on that issue, of course, after, later this morning, um, I'm sure you'll go down and support people. Um, there's a there's the rally in um, at eleven o'clock today around pensioners and what well, people are, well, just everybody really, but for cutbacks by the government. And so that rally is at eleven o'clock, and everyone yep. should get down there as well. State Library, fight the war on the poor. Ah, that's it. That's it. Well, that you qualify superbly there. Or, or we all do, don't we? We all we all. Absolutely, that one. We will all be down there. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's one we'll follow up, and uh, also, of course, allied to that, as we said, we've said the cutback by some hospitals of staff that were out in community health centres, paramedics, etc. Mm. Uh, that too is forcing more and more people, presumably, into emergency ward, etc. And so it just defeats the purpose, it seems to me, to, to be trying to save on one hand and cost lots more on the other. Well, it's just not best practice. No, I'm going to have a sip of tea. I don't know how I'm going to work it out with this microphone. We'll <laughs> see how we go. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, the government knows what best public health practice is. You know, it's just, it's ridiculous to me that they never follow it, you know. I mean, it's like what they do with the Northern Territory intervention. If you read the government health reports into Aboriginal health around that time, you know, they were saying do one thing and the government did the drastically opposite thing. So they know what yeah. to do if they want to improve health. I guess you've got to conclude that they actually don't give a stuff about improving health. Yeah, or that they they see the private sector as far more important because you know if they if they did cut back on all the subsidies and grants and handouts to the public to the private health sector, mm. uh, there'd be a lot more money for public health. There's you know, as people much wiser than you and I keep saying, and uh, mm. so we listen to people who are wiser, and we think it probably adds up. Well, interestingly enough, with the um, the thirty percent rebate on rebate on healthcare that the government provides, plus the fifty percent um, on every hospital operation um, 
in the private sector that the government provides, it's um, actually more expensive for them to uh, see somebody in the private health sector than to see somebody in the public health sector for the same sort of operation. And on average, the same sort of operation um, in the public health se- sector is um, usually more complicated. The public health sector is better and it just does the more complicated cases. And also a lot of poor people neglect their health so they end up with worse health sort of outcomes. So they're actually literally spending more money on less of a service for ideological reasons when they could actually just provide public health healthcare for cheaper, better. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, the majority, a couple are different, but the majority of private hospitals are really just into cosmetic type stuff. Uh, they don't handle the big stuff. And, yeah. And, and all, all the training and all the expensive equipment is in the public hospitals. And yet, as you just said, all the stu- every study shows it's still cheaper to treat patients in public hospitals than in private hospitals, despite the fact that... Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I think the only only problem is, I think I think private hosp- public hospitals were superb until Kenneth got to them and started cutting back. So once they cut back on cleaning and all this sort of stuff, there are now more risks in public hospitals that weren't there before. But that's nothing to do with public hospitals. It's to do with governments that cut back on funding, on essential, essential keeping them essentially uh, safe for everybody to be there. Yeah, I mean, the only thing you really get out of a private hospital is better hospitality services. You probably get your own room and slightly better food and you don't have to, you know, mix with the poor. And in some, they give you a little bottle of red wine with your meal. It's worth going to a private hospital for us, but yeah, that's true. Yeah. You could just sm- smuggle in the goon bag, though. Yeah, you could. <laughs> as a visitor, take smuggle into the, the yeah. Race. Just just <laughs> hang it up on that thing that they drip uh, blood from. The, that's the, right. The yeah. IV. Mm, look like sort of anemic blood, <laughs> um, dripping into you. Look, we'll, we'll, I've got a fair few things to talk about anyway. But while we've got a bit of time, I'm going to ask you something. Mm-hmm. Um, I told you yesterday I'm going to ask you a question, Corey. Okay. Okay. And the question is: Do you know who Verdell Smith is? I do not. <sighs> Dear mate, you don't know Verdell Smith. The depths of my ignorance are Ver- Ver- I just, Verdell just Smith is someone you hear every single week and you don't know who Verdell Smith is. No. I'm going to hand you a 45. We're going to see if it plays or not. We'll, we'll put on a bit of a pro- some promo thing to kickstart. Then we're going to play this song and we'll um, answer the question. All right. Oh, no. Freeze, fellas, you're under arrest. What do I do? Um, call a lawyer? Hello, Fitzroy Legal Service. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, if you are arrested, you should make a no-comment interview. A no-comment interview? Yeah. Well, how do I do that? You say... No, no comment! To everything? Yes, except your name and address. Every other question you should answer with no comment. So if he asks me what colour my shoes are, I say no comment? Yes, you say... No, no comment! To everything? Yes. Say no, no comment. comment. If you are arrested, exercise your right to contact a lawyer and say no comment. It's for legal service, proudly supported 3CR. Oh, that was beautiful. That was it, and we want to thank the listener who sent us in that 45. She found it in a, obviously in a, in a second-hand book, um, record shop or something, but um, it's, it plays really well. And, um, of course, that's our theme song. That's the whole thing. But Verdell Smith is the singer. She, um, as I said, you hear her every week. Um, it was, she was the one-hit wonder. That was it. And um, 
So that was Verdell Smith. Well, it's one more hit <laughs> than me. I always think about <laughs> one-hit wonders. That's true. I got a friend who's um, I had lunch with him the other day, and his son played fifty games of AFL football. Uh, um, he was an average, very average player, but at least he, we keep saying, well, at least he played fifty games more than we did, which was uh, mm-hmm. something, wasn't it? Yeah, that is something. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's that. Now, um, th- th- last week we talked about uh, we took. T- Talked to John Langer about the uh, campaign around the Brunswick Terminal Station, the upgrading and you know all that, that stuff we going on, which has been fighting on for years. A couple of developments this week since that interview. Um, Moreland councillors voted um, last week to because um, the planning minister called it in and took it out of their hands, and they said there needs to be a rethink on this expansion. It's not an appropriate site. That was one of the Greens councillors said that it neighbours a creek and residential thing. Um, and they're all saying how bad it is, so they're, they're going to the new government asking for, a, for the government to um, review the whole situation. And they said that um, planning decisions should be made by local government because they offer a more robust and fair process rather than governments taking it out of the hand of the local community. And at the same time, the Victorian Greens are calling for the state government to suspend works, etc., and... Um, so there's a fair bit going on, and hopefully the, the local residents might end up winning that campaign with a bit of luck. We can only hope so. Yes. Definitely. Yes. Um, there was a headline um, on Friday which um, may have led to something that happened on Sunday in the business page of the Herald Sun, because it's, uh, it's about Westfield, sets timeline for offshore listing plan, etc. And the headline was, Lowy's Itchy Feet. And maybe on Sunday at the soccer, he actually bent down to scratch his itchy foot, and that's what caused him to fall over and roll off the platform and build himself. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Anyway, that might have been it. I don't um, know. Someone said... Man falls over. It's not an exciting news story, really. Oh, this is Frank Lowy. <laughs> All right. This is the man who got billions of our public money to go and fight to get a World Cup for Australia and demanded that the public purse pay for it so his private little hobby could be supported. And then when he got there, all those billions got exactly one vote, which we can only assume was his. And 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 he still can't stand up properly. Still, well, he's got itchy feet. <laughs> Poor man. He should have spent those billions on better fitting shoes. <laughs> That's right. The, the other one we talked about last week was uh, good old Singer, who had a bit of a bash up at, with a matey. I think it was a preliminary bout, really, in uh, flashing a, a expensive wine glass, now broken in the face of one of his mates. Uh, and, of course, um, I think he's building up for the big championship fight with Jamie Packer at, on Jamie's major strip one Sunday morning coming up. Mm-hmm. But... You've got to 3CR give it, will be there to cover it. Yeah, we'll be there. But you've got to give credit to uh, Singo for uh, for subtlety and for sensitivity because uh, he, he, he loves to crack a joke and he says, um, neither of us embarrassed, he said to a couple of mates, uh, he said, the fight had been over a woman. We, mm. we don't have one, he joked. This is the bit I love. He then refers to Stephen saying, this is Stephen's the other bloke who was there, he was trying to find a woman to belt and I was trying to have a sex change so he could bash me. I mean, isn't he a funny man? Isn't That's he? horrendous. It's a great joke because he's managed to to, will, to weave in sexism, homophobia, the whole bit into one wonderful yeah, joke. Yeah, a bit of transphobia. Yes, oh, he's got the lot. He's got the lot. Good old Singo. So, 
What a what a I'm disappointed that that joke didn't contain racism. I think he yeah, could have tried harder. He, he could have. He could have. Yeah, I, I agree. He fell down in that area. Um, mm. He obviously didn't see the new Pitch Perfect movie. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's the at least footballers get both right when they call someone a black sea, don't they? They sort yeah. of they combine a bit of racism and sexism in the one go. Or cricketers. They that's do. just efficient, you know. Yeah, the Australian cricket uh, coach at the moment. He. Uh, belted his bat into the wall when some Pakistani or someone bowled him out and went in and did the old racist sexist bit on while he smashed the wall of the dressing room with his bat. But um, yeah. it's a good thing that, um, you know, men are totally in control of their emotions at oh. all times and that's why they're allowed to lead the world uh, yeah, so the and be in charge of the nuclear weapons because they're just totally calm and rational even when they're belting... Anger yes, is a, just a rational yes, response to a got to say, as a man, Corey, game. I'm, I'm losing faith in my own sex. I must admit, Corey, because figures this week show that with the you know the the people say now that they've got the parties are back on par. The two great parties are back on par in Australia. But the biggest the biggest boost for the uh, Liberal Party mm. was from men. Um, women still aren't supporting them very much, but the big boost is men now are overwhelmingly supporting the Liberal Party. And I thought, I'm not sure I want to be a man in this circumstance particularly. Yes. Well, they definitely are the, yes, the, the, the party for men, especially old white men. Thank you, Corinne. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, whose interest do they support? I mean, you know, what constituency is largely represented in their, um, you know, in their cabinet and their members and all their ministers of parliament? Oh, there's Julie Bishop. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, yeah. that that means equality then. Yeah. She's the equivalent of. Hang on, I'm in the wrong spot to pour that. We're pouring tea over the over the thing now. See, we're coming. Yeah, that could up, never so. go wrong. No, that's right. We were in the wrong spot. It would have gone everywhere. But we've saved. Oh, enormous went everywhere anyway. But anyway, yeah. There we are. Um, another one this week. Um, I thought interesting was um, <laughs> was a couple of blokes from the United States. A bloke called Tony Podesta. He's part of a uh, big lobbying group. In fact, he's said to be one of the big three lobbyists in America. And he's part of a family that was involved with Clinton and all that sort of stuff. So he's got a lot of influence. He came to Australia. He and another bloke called Barry Jackson lobbed here. And um, uh, Baz is a former chief of staff to the House Speaker over there as well. And they came here and talking about the digital companies, the big, the big, um, the big digital companies, the technology companies that don't pay any tax. Mm-hmm. And um, he says, uh, and I think this is the bit, I love. He said, um, "I just think there are." This is this is what Tony said. I just think there are easier, smarter, and better ways to get government revenue up than trying to tax cyberspace. It's much more complicated than it sounds. But he didn't then go on to point out how easier, smarter, and better ways what they were, other than taxing people to get money out of them. But anyway, uh, these companies. But he he feels it's a big mistake uh, to do this. Well, if cyberspace is a series of tubes, as one old conservative said, I don't see how you could get money out of it. No, no, no. But perhaps the company that makes money, anyway. That's a, yes. And, and he, he. I mean, what is the internet anyway? Where does it well, exist? You, you tell me. I've got no idea. Um, but hockey. He he then he it's gets witchcraft. That's what he, it is. He gets his metaphors a touch mixed up too. The old Tony, because then he says he hesitated to give hockey advice. Um, 
but this one could use the budget, but he says this one could use a little more baking before the cake comes out. Then he says they should hit the pause button on unilateral steps, so they should bake the cake and hit the pause button, apparently. Um, Perhaps on the oven, maybe on the oven, that might be it. Maybe he wasn't mixed up at all. Mm. Yeah. Then you just Uh, stand up with a cake with a soggy metal. Yeah, that's true. Well, we have anyway. So, so no difference. We got that in the first place. Now, and where are you going to put the icing in that metaphor? He doesn't. He hasn't got it. Well, there's no icing because the icing on the cake is the tax you don't pay. But no, that's not it. It's actually the cakes the tax you don't pay. The icing's probably the rest. But anyway, um, that's the subsidies you get from the government for your rich person's ah, yes. lifestyle. There's that's your right. icing. Now, in the same story, the U.S. The Treasury, the U.S. Treasury's top international tax official, Robert Stack, warned that Australia should not slug technology companies with higher taxes, such as the British-style Google tax. And Barry Jackson, the other bloke who came out here, former chief of staff, etc., said tech companies were taking advantage of the way tax laws were written and were not under any obligation to pay more than their legally required taxes, which presumably is naught. Mm. Um, he said he understood the challenge countries face finding stable revenue streams and didn't disagree with hockey that you don't want an unfriendly business environment, but you want a fair business environment. But the fair business environment is one in which you don't pay any tax, obviously. So. Yeah, but friendly or up. friendly or unfriendly, these businesses are going to provide their services in Australia because there's still profits to be made. I mean, it's just like in Australia, you know, McDonald's pays its worker much higher than in the US or whatever, but there's still profits to be made out of hamburgers. That's true, but Tony did say that, uh, and that's all they care about, the Australian consumer, that if they had to pay tax, consumers would have to pay more because the prices would go up and so or they've come here really to protect the Australian so the Australian consumer obviously that's their real concern I would have thought cool. oh okay yeah sorry yeah. about that yeah no I'm not sorry because we you know, we support the Australian consumer don't we? do we? I have no idea no no this well that's typical of this program are we no talking idea. consumers or um people pardon well, I'm just thinking, you know, is no, no, it... I'm not talking people, because consu- consumers consume and they pay money, whereas some people mightn't pay money, so you can't deal with them. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, they're mm. different. Okay, so yeah, we're not talking yeah. about people. We- oh, no, no, hell no. No, we don't support the Australian people, just Australian consumers. Yes, yes, that's right. Okay, good. That's right, as long good. as they spend. Yes. Yeah. Now, the other one, interesting one, because we've all, you know, we've, I think we all know why we oppose the Trans-Pacific Partnership... But And we've all said, you know, the U.S. is pushing it, but they're having trouble themselves, um, big trouble. Um, last week, uh, the uh, members of the Democrat Party themselves rejected a bid by Obama to get through this process that allowed him to fast-track the whole thing. Because mm. they're also saying now that unless it gets through in the, ne- in the, in the fairly near future... It's going to run smack bang into the American election campaign when no one wants to get involved with it. And thus, um, it may now have to go right out to about, they're saying, 2017 after the election, etc., um, before anything's done. So, that's so is that a two-year election period? Well, it's a four-year, but they, the, the next, up till the end of next year when the election is... Uh, it's going to be ongoing now. They're starting the primary races and all that sort of stuff they have. You know, it's a long, long, boring process. Um, <clears throat> so, um, with a bit of luck, it might not. It might just keep dragging out due to America rather than Australia. I was surprised when the thing. Democrats blocked it, um, blocked the fast track. It's sort of like democracy in progress is one little last vestige of it left. 
Yeah, well, and also if you listen to, uh, I think it's a wonderful program, Democracy Now! at 9 o'clock on Monday mornings on this mm-hmm. station out of America, they've had a number of, they've mentioned a number of times the fact that it has, they haven't put it in these terms, but it has actually ignited the, I don't know, it's a pretty ordinary one, but the trade union movement in America, which is, you know, pretty ordinary, it makes ours look bloody strong. Um, it, uh, but nonetheless, it, they're united against the whole thing because of the same reason people here, the, the impact on jobs, the impact on wages, etc., etc. So, uh, and there's a lot of other groups in America who are you know, getting around it, putting up the same sort of arguments as some group, those groups opposing it in Australia are putting up. So it's quite interesting that we see them as the big bogey and they, their business, you know, and the people who matter over there and make the decisions are the big bogey, but there is a lot of opposition there as well as here. Well, the trade union movement in America is is actually, you know, it's been a lot strengthened since Occupy. I mean, not only has the media been talking about inequality, but they've had the $15 an hour minimum wage campaign, which yeah. has been quite successful and lots of rolling strikes. Although, um, interestingly enough, uh, some of those strikes were organised by people outside of the trade union, and the trade union sort of had to rush to hurry up. Yep. To, sorry, to catch up. But it has been... Um yeah, it, it has been encouraging, and that's, well, let's hope those campaigns keep keep winning. Of course, mm. um, and speaking of um, speaking of uh, such campaigns and so much an hour, um, a company called IAG, um, which is an insurance company, if I'm not, not incorrect, mm. um, it 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 has this building at 388 George Street in Sydney, 28 level building, and it's been accused of having contractors who pay absolutely stuff all to their. Uh, the United Voice says um, TFM, which is the contracted company, but IAG is sort of the overseeing body, has been charging cleaners $500 to apply for the job, <laughs> let alone not paying them, and offering to pay them the below ward rate of 15 an hour. Um, and it, the, 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 this is in the Australian Financial Review, and it showed it saw an online advertisement written in Thai with a picture of the front of the building. The union was due to meet with etc. with a pair with ombudsman. Uh, the the union said application fees five hundred dollars, including police check. If you've done the police check, you only have to pay three hundred. You need to pay half the amount before you sign the contract and get the training, etc. etc. And it's ongoing. But these obviously again they're always inadvertent. Of course, these things we keep saying, but. Um, so basically, at fifteen dollars an hour, you're giving them back your thirty-three first thirty-three hours of work. Uh, yes, yes, very good. You, if you get the job. If you get the job. If you get the job. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, that's like you know, almost the first week. You know, if they let them work a normal working week and don't smash them and make them work eighty hours or whatever. No, that's right, and and of course we've got still the ongoing stuff happening around the uh, the. Inquiry, the Royal Commission into the Union, the Royal Commission, and all the allegations that are made, etc., etc., the attacks on unions at a great rate. Um, now, the, the one of the one of the attacks on the unions is that Unions New South Wales has received four hundred and seven thousand in interest payments from the New South Wales ALP after the Labor Party took almost three years longer than originally agreed to pay a one and a half million pre-election loan. Mm-hmm. The money to replay came from public funding received by the ALP, etc. But they're being attacked for this. Um, the, the, you know, that they this is a terrible way to use union funds or whatever. Now, I thought that was just a profit. Well, yeah. Now it seems to me that when banks do that, they they for, they for a start would get a lot more than that. I would receive, I would imagine, because their interest rate would be a lot higher. Mm. But um, 
when banks do it, they're lauded as being great business people. When unions do it, they're attacked for being corrupt, hmm. for giving someone a loan and getting paid back and making a profit. Apparently, that's not the way to do business. There you go. Can you explain that to me, Corey, at all? Well, um, I think that if the unions um, could do the best that they could to cut themselves off at the knees in every which way possible, that would um, really please the ruling class. Mm. That's that. In fact, Jeremy Stolger, the Crown Prosecutor in the uh, Commission, he actually said he's not opposed to unions. Unions, he didn't go on to say he's only opposed to union officials and unions that do anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yes, fair enough. As long as they don't do anything, they're okay. Yeah. Shall we go to a track? Why don't we go to a track and hopefully with the time, because April's going to ring in, in fact. She's stuck out. Well, we mentioned her. I don't know how that we mentioned it on air, but April rang in this morning to say that the road's been blocked between where she lives and getting into the city, and she didn't think she'd make it on time, so she's going to ring in about now. Mm. So we'll take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll hopefully have her on the line. All right. This is um, the B-side of Verdell Smith. This is called A Piece of the Sky. Okay, that was Verdell Smith. I think we wound her down, but that was her B-side, as we said earlier. She's the, mm. one, the one-hit wonder who sang who sang Tar and Cement, our theme song. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was called A Piece uh, of the Sky. A Piece of the Sky. And speaking of pe- out somewhere in the sky is um, April Bragg, who had trouble getting here because of uh, the road problems out there. April. Um, How you doing? Hi, Corey. Hi, Kevin. How are you? All right. And look, before we go to the talk about the meeting tomorrow night and the that whole question of public housing being handed over, etc., uh, I got some stuff. I think most everyone in Melbourne probably got some stuff either in the mail or fell out of newspapers this week asking you to give to he- end homelessness now. Now, apparently you can end homelessness by giving X number of dollars. There's various amounts to the Salvation Army. Is, is that the solution, um, April? Um, no, it's um, while it's important to um, support um, people in their homelessness, um, we know that uh, unless you actually provide housing for, for people, they will continue to remain homeless. So we need to do both. Um, and uh, while it's um, you know it's a, it's a good thing that individual organisations have a focus on um, homelessness and wanting to solve that problem. It really is um, the injection of government funds that we need, particularly in Capital Works, um, that's going to do the trick. So I've always thought it might actually be more efficient to give the money straight to homeless people. I mean, you know, like beggars on the street. Like, think about it. First of all, there's no administration costs. And second of all, the homeless person actually probably knows best what they um, need and how best to get it. Well, there, there, there's certainly that aspect in terms of that that immediate um, and crisis response, mm. um, I, I think. But uh, again, just um, if you if you don't have anywhere to house people... Oh, yeah, overall. Yeah. But so, in, the, in the short term, you know, rather than giving yeah, to the salvos, yeah. maybe you'd just be better off giving to people on... To the people directly. Yeah, yeah, I, I certainly... Um, yeah, have no, <laughs> no objection to, to that. Anyway, yeah. in the long term, more housing. Well, there's always been um, our organisation, particularly my my thing. That um, look, the, sorry, the sorry, we, we better sorry. cut in here because we, we just we've taken you for granted. Um, we should <laughs> tell those who haven't listened before or don't listen to the showgame regular program regularly. April Bragg is from the Housing with Aged Action Group, and they come on every third Wednesday of the month and talk to us about housing issues. So, April, there you are. You're introduced now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, 
for that. You should have some music as well. No. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, uh, it's, uh, it's not exactly um, rocket science about um, ending homelessness. It's, uh, it's about um, providing roofs over, over people's head and, uh, and also what's important um, in that what they need once um, the house, so if people are needing supports, then looking at... Um, you know, those programs and, and funding to make sure that people's tenancies are, are sustained. So I guess it's a three-prong approach, but um, certainly capital capital injection, capital funds are really important. Mm. The, the, in the, going, getting, we're on religious groups today. The Anglicare in the last week or two has brought out a study that shows there's a chronic undersupply of low-cost housing, which I don't think we needed a study to tell us mm. that, but anyway, they've done it. Um, this brings us to this meeting. Meeting tomorrow night at seven o'clock at the um, the community centre in um, in North Carlton, the one the Gallagher Centre up there in the gardens. I think most people know that's that place. Um, that was actually saved by a crime community union campaign many years ago from falling under the hands of developers. Um, the meeting tomorrow night is going to show a film from Germany about about the similar situation, public housing being handed over, evictions and the response to that by people there and um, and discussion around the issue for people who are concerned. It's being run by um, by Friends of Public Housing and by a group called Architects for something or other, Architects for Planning or something, I can't think what it is, but it's or for, no, Architects for Affordable Housing and they might call themselves, whatever. Uh, but it's, it's an important issue. Yeah, it's an important issue though, isn't it? Uh, yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. We need to, um, you know, we we all need to campaign against um, any of our housing stock um, being being lost. Um, and it doesn't mean to say that because uh, the old argument then is that um, particularly in some of our inner city, um, particularly public housing estates, um, where stock was run down, that um, you know the housing's not worth keeping. But um, you, it's it's. Um, really important to to keep the land of course because um once you you lose the land and it's sold off for private development and for profit you you don't get it back and so that's um where we see the shift of people um if money is put back into housing and we're not even actually doing that in the outer suburbs it used to be well we can actually build more where land is cheaper but um that's that's actually not happening either apart from it um being unrealistic for particularly low-income people to live on the outskirts of um, of the city, um, but uh, it's uh, it's an imperative that we uh, we you know all join in the struggle to make sure that that uh, that land isn't lost, and also just rec- recognise that it's um, we we own that land, and any redevelopment that that happens on it is always um, going to be cheaper than um, than what it ends up costing to build privately, apart from from the loss and what it means that uh, very few people ma- are making profit out of um, developing housing. Interestingly enough, in a parallel universe, there's the opposite meeting um, happening in Canberra. We've got I've, I've got a news report here. Nichols residents oppose public housing near primary school. Um, so hundreds of Gungalan residents have opposed plans for a new housing development in their suburb and they're talking about there's going to be poor people around, possibly drug addicts, blah, 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 blah. Um, It sounds, first of all, like uh, they've definitely got an idea about who's in public housing that may or may not be fair. Uh, Second of all, who the hell opposes public housing? Well, unfortunately, a a lot of people do and particularly... um, uh, homeowners 
um, who see their housing as a capital investment and see their prices going down. But, mm. but it truly, truly is ignorance, and it's one of the things we've been saying to the department, um, you know, the Office of Housing, um, for for decades now that uh, we we build really good public housing and sustainable housing, um, energy efficient housing. It's it's of a good standard, really good design. Um, we've we've learned over thirty years about what good design is. Um, but it's not promoted. Um, we we never do promotion of it. Of you know why it, why it's um you know so the the type of housing that we should um, strive to to de- to de- to design, um, and particularly when you look at the criticisms about a lot of the high rise um, private developments that are happening in the in the city of Melbourne. It's um you know public housing is far superior in, in design of that. So we should be promoting it and um and getting neighbourhoods to understand the, the value of it in actual fact it can increase if that's what they're worried about increased prices apart from um, housing is completely unaffordable for not well to low to middle income in, income people so it's a situation that's actually going to get worse and what we need to do is open up the eligibility of public housing build more and make sure that we have um, you know different um, Income, you know, a more diverse range of people rather than, I guess, the, that can help one another out rather than the way we run the priority housing system. But it's really bigotry about about people, not housing design. Mm, I've got a um, quote here. But they get away with it in terms of they can only object in terms of what the housing design is. But, but it is really just a, a bigoted campaign about, um, you know, about uh, low-income people. Yeah, I've got a quote here from the article. Nichols is one of the prestige suburbs in Canberra. This is a reason not to have public housing. Um, it has nice established neighbourhood, residents with relatively average high income and no public housing, which was one of the reasons that compelled us to move to Nichols years ago. I mean, yeah, you know, it's just blatant hatred yes. on the poor. Yes, yes. When you're talking and about affordability... You can, you, can, you can look at um, how... You know how um, public housing developments can actually enhance neighbourhoods and what it actually brings to to those neighbourhoods as well. Um, mm. Yeah, and particularly in terms of um, the aesthetics. I mean, they are not eyesores. Um, if anyone um, wanted to look at, uh, we've we made a film with some uh, residents that moved into a, a new apartment block about two years ago in Altona. And that was um, the, the streets where it was built and the surrounding neighbourhoods, I, I suppose, were developed in the 1960s. And while this is a really modern building, it's set back from the street. Um, the, the trees were kept. Um, it it's really um, doesn't intrude in any way and it actually remarkably builds in. It's, um, it's a, a, an amazing design, amazing feat of architecture to, to get that to, to happen. And of course, it's energy energy efficient. Um, you know, people living there say to us that um, they've never had um, particularly such low utility bills in their in their whole lives. And these were people that were, you know, stuck in private rental, paying a lot of money, um, and and really poor quality private rental as well. Um, you know, often without heating. A couple of the women that we moved in there lived in um, vermin infested um, bungalows. So it's. Um, uh, yeah, it's just, um, I think it's uh, outrageous and a real shame that mm. uh, we don't actually promote it as a housing option more. We've talked, of course, we've mentioned before the example in was in the city of Mormon, unfortunately, where there were two developments in the same, virtually in the same street. 
uh, identical. One was public housing and one wasn't, and one got about 60 objections and one got about two objections. And no, I no no, no questioning. <laughs> yeah, it was in Coburg or somewhere, I think. But no, no questioning which uh, which one got the 60. But it yes, was just a blatant yes. example of, of anti-public housing bias, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Look, we could do a lot to, to promote it. I'd, and, you know, I'm really pleased with the work that we do to promote it, particularly if people want to go to our websites and um, our website and look at we've made it another recent film um, about um, two months ago that, that's up there now about um, you know what difference it's made to people's lives it's actually saved people's lives so um, you know let me hear from anyone that doesn't think that that's important you know they're worrying about what their house and a lot of people, of course, when you talk about public housing, community housing, social housing, a lot of people use it in the same breath, so to speak, and and um, and say, well, one, you know, they're the same. What's it matter? Um, does it matter? Well, it certainly matters in the way that, that we operate because, um, and, and again, I know that we've talked about this before, but um, there are different, uh, uh, there's different eligibility. Um, the social housing system, so what we say is the social housing system is that that's run by the registered housing associations. There's different criteria because, of course, they, while they're not-for-profits, they do need to, to generate income to be able to expand their portfolios because that was the whole idea about government um, not taking responsibility for housing, but these organisations in the end being the sole providers and being able to fund that them, themselves... But what we find is that um, in terms of um, discrimination, they are going to take those those tenants that are um, those applicants that are what are seen to be lower risk. So um, it might be that, uh, and that can be from from with health issues or income issues. We we find that um, I mean I was talking to a, um, a provider yesterday trying to secure a property um, in Pasco Vale for some clients and immediately the people that were on new start and for older people that can be until you reach pension age of 67 now um they weren't going to get a look in it with people that um that were either on age pension or dsp because you need that higher income but they certainly they most of them don't have some waiting lists because they can pick and choose people the other issue is that um rent is higher it's 30 percent of your income plus 100% of your Commonwealth rent assistance, whereas public housing is that, that flat 25%. And I'm certainly not saying that that's necessarily affordable in this day and age either. Um, but uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's not... A, I mean, that's a real difference to, to us. And often that um, people don't have security of tenure, they're, you know, it's... it's um, people are often on leases that will be reviewed and, you know, if you have a falling out with them, then you can bet that you'll get the 120-day notice to, to leave for no reason, you know, so, mm. which doesn't, you know, I mean, it does, and that doesn't happen in public housing. The other thing about disability and age pension as opposed to New Start is that, you know, New Start is, is famously unreliable. I mean, they try and kick you off it at any, you know, any chance that they have and, and landlords know that. Yes, yes. And certainly that's why um, we've got more and more people that um, have been long-term renters um, got to that point in their, their life where they might have lost their job or their health is starting to decline through years of hard work. Um, 
so, so then suddenly on new start, but not able to get another, not able to keep the rent that they were, um, for the property that they were in, but also not being able to get access into the private rental market because they're competing against younger working people and no one, no landlord's going to, or agent's going to pick you up when you're older and you're on new start. Um, when we're talking about housing affordability, I saw in the front page of the Herald Sun, um, Carolyn Spring, somebody sold a house for $1.59 million. I've got the champagne and everything. Yeah. Corey, do, do you know um, where Ka- Caroline Springs is? No. It, it, it's, um, it was the redevelopment of Deer Park, and Deer Park is some fairly old suburb in the in the western suburbs that um, really you'd be years ago hard-pressed <laughs> get anyone to move really poor in terms of... Um, Transport um, servicing of internal um, public um, public transport. So yeah, it's a, it is on the on the outskirts, and Caroline Springs is that bit further. But it's actually um, I forget who the developer was, but uh, it's uh, really poor in design in that there's only one road going in and out of Caroline Springs, um, leading onto Ballarat Road. So try getting in and out of there of a night time where they've you know morning or night time where they've built thousands. Of, of houses, I, I I just couldn't believe it when I read that. <laughs> like, I can't kind of, can't imagine. That's how bad things have got. I thought when um, houses in Deer Park, no matter what what you rebadge it as, are, are selling for over a million bucks. Mm, mm. I mean, it makes me you know think. You know, I've just got no chance of ever buying a house. No, no. And you know, Deer Park was actually and St Albans and ran that way because that that's sort of the um, I suppose the broad area of um, where nearest public transport is. But um, that used to be the area, particularly when we were doing priority housing applications for public housing tenants about, um, because you have to prove that you've tried to access the private rental market and you just haven't been able to. But we often used to put, because they, they were the cheaper rental areas um, and people couldn't even access there. So... Um, and now when you think that properties are selling, I mean, that obviously that a house must have been quite extraordinary, but uh, you wouldn't find anything else cheaper out there for less than four hundred, five hundred thousand. 500,000. Mm. And again, that's that whole issue about who's building housing and who's developing, who's making the profits out of it, who's, who's got control of the land bank, all, all of those issues. And of course you get that contradiction all the time where the developers and the development bodies and the big developers and the builders all say what they really want is affordable housing. Then they complain if house prices don't keep going up. And I yeah. I find a bit of a contradiction there somewhere, uh, April. Can, can you explain? <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? Speaking of the Sumite, they all made comments well, the on the budget. Me, the, 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 and Corey, when you're saying, you know, what, what's the likelihood of a young woman... You know, and young people being able to get into the, um, you know, to become, to to own their own home. I, I think it's um, basically nil. But um, I, you know, driving into work, listening to Talkback Radio, and last week it was about, oh, this week it was um, lots of calls about negative gearing, of course. Mm. But there were so many people that were ringing up, really critical of young people saying, well, it's all their own fault because they want the McMansions. And it's, and people just don't understand that there, there isn't anything else that's being built. The developers have control about what type of housing is actually getting built in on those estates where, you know, where most young people are, are, are looking at the, you know, 25 year 
mortgage with a four hundred, five hundred thousand dollar house. It's not that it's not that people are greedy or that they want that. They they want to be able to just be able to put a roof over their head, be able to have some money left from their from their wages after you've paid the mortgage. But no, nobody understands who's, who's or doesn't sound the general public who, who's actually driving this and why property prices are so high. Mm. It's, it's not a... as if young people can actually buy established houses in the inner city. Like so, that's why people are going out to those areas. But they're, I mean, they're really being trapped. Mm. No, it's such a barrier to um, intergenerational wealth having to save up five hundred thousand dollars for a shitty house. No, well, that that that's that's right. It's just, um... I don't know. Yeah, it's just, I find it, find it mind-blowing, and I think that we've done our young people a terrible disservice. Yeah, but speaking of wonderful services, um, we've, since we last spoke to you, April, you have had a state and federal budget. Um, yeah. Now, I presume, I presume public housing came out of both very well indeed, did it not? <laughs> well, no. <laughs> we, we know the feds aren't um, putting in any money, so therefore the, the state... Um, hasn't really, and, and the the disappointing thing was, um, I think there were really only um, there was an in the budget hidden away there was only um, uh, money allocated for fifty six new public housing. This properties. is the state budget. This is a, sorry, this is yeah. the state budget yeah. because in the federal budget there wasn't anything about um, certainly building housing. There was just a continuation of um, the uh, National Partnership Agreement for Homelessness Services. Um, but again, the, the problem there was that um, it's only been extended for two years and it didn't include indexation. So in actual fact, for the services that receive that homelessness money, it means a funding cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the state budget, um, and of course, if the feds aren't putting money in, the state's not going to be able to do that or, or aren't going to do that, whether they can or not. Um, so that's where that 56 um, announcement um, came in. So we really have, you know, we've really got some work to to do on that. Um, but the good news, and also for um, particularly for our organisation, as people know, that we were about to lose our home at last service that's um, been running as a pilot project along with um, seven other um, projects, originally 11, now 7. Um, those projects actually did get up and got funded. And not only got funded, but were funded for four years. Um, so it really demonstrated that the strong outcomes about what it means to people's lives in terms of housing them was really recognised. So that was um, the bright light in the budget for us. Well, that's a positive, and that's actually good news, yeah. isn't it? Then the four year, yes. no, And I believe the four-year funding also is going to... Um, going to be um, indexed to uh, for inflation, is yeah. it not? So, yeah, so. the state, um, and um, we're still trying to work out how much federal money is in it, but it was really a state commitment. Um, the um, Because as I said before, the federal government certainly didn't index any of that homelessness money, so the state's committed to that. But um, we were encouraged to, to see, um, I think that we've mentioned that over the three years of the projects that KPMG have been measuring the outcomes and um, I, I suppose even at the end, the financial um, advantages of housing people rather than not housing them, so rather than continuing to support them through their homelessness. But um, what what's the financial advantage, particularly to the, to the state, let alone people, um, once you house them and, and um, they recognise that and, um, and on that basis um, have put in $40 million. So um, we're hoping that uh, to, you know, in the future that will work forward and... 
<coughs> that it, it complements the crisis system, but um, also that it'll be evidence-based in terms of hopefully getting housing on the ground. Mm. So that's the next step. Um, Sounds I... like a campaign. <laughs> April, what do you think of the idea of the 25 to 30-year mortgage as a means of social control? Well, yeah, if you've, if you've got a... Um, I think if this is what you mean, it's certainly... Um, yeah, it's certainly a way of controlling people if you've got to get up and go to work every day and just worry about how you keep a roof over your head um, and particularly at the, the prices that um, people need to be able to service a mortgage now. Um, I mean, generally mortgages have been over 25 years but um, have been around about, historically around about that 25, maybe 30% of income but then, you know, as your life goes on, that becomes cheaper but um, particularly people taking out mortgages now, it's, you know, 50, 60 and sometimes 70% of people's income. It also puts um, puts pressure on you in, in, if you're in an industrial dispute, etc. too, as to how far you can go without threatening your job, etc. or go how yes, many weeks right. you can go without pay. So you know, the whole yes. question of, of people being in debt for all sorts of reasons, the whole higher purchase thing that started many years ago, um, you know, is a, is a real barrier to workers uh, often taking industrial action. Mm. Yes, and and people just deciding, you know, to live normal lives if they're wanting to have have families. Um, I know with my um, my kids and my children who all have <laughs> all had children, but um, a lot of their friends, um, you know, really deciding whether you know they can afford to to have a family, um, mm. and that's that's purely, and they always relate that purely to the cost of their mortgage or what a mortgage would be if they can get one. Yep, we've run out so of that, time. That's really just we've got about a minute. And minute, go on, I was sorry, just yeah, going to yeah. say, and that's the thing that we should be promoting about, particularly public housing, as a tenure, because it's it's about the quality of life. Mm. Um, if you if you have tenure for for life in, you know, say in public housing, then you know it's um, it's, it's you, we don't have that struggle. We don't have that struggle. Yep, I was going to. In, we've only got about a minute, so we, we might do this more next month. But in the last week or so, um, Murdoch has decided to throw Jihad and Terror back a couple of pages and is run on, running a campaign around domestic violence. Now, one of the issues that's come out is one we've, we've known about for a long time, but women who get caught up in what be, might be called that domestic economic problem, um, yeah. where they, they inherit debt or they're just left with nothing. Yeah. Uh, I, imagine, I imagine you must have a lot of clients who come yeah. through that yeah and also just being homeless and being a, a, a bigger you know being vulnerable to violence um full stop so um yeah um we'd i'd really love to talk about that all right then we'll do that next okay. month then yeah okay look thanks for your time can we say goodbye thank to april Kevin, thank you Corey. thanks for coming on the show um this is city limits on 3cr 855 am maybe you're listening on 3cr.org.au uh radio sounds coming up please give us money and we're going to go out with a track. This is Rebel Diaz. With... Okay, and next week, by the way, is um, we're, going, we're hoping to have a discussion around a follow-up on that plan. Oops, what's going on there? Um, a follow-up on that, um, you know, how do you get a sustainable city, etc. We're, ho- we're hoping to have a follow-up on that next week with some people. Excellent. Yeah. So this is Rebel Diaz with Which Side Are You On?